Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me right here on Friday the 13th, where the only thing haunted is our government. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Follow me on social media on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore and on Twitter and Truth Social at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show. Let me know what's on your mind at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Getting a ton of your emails. Keep them coming. I read them all. We're going to get to some of yours at the end of the show. Okay, a lot to get to on this Friday the 13th. On Monday and Wednesday of this week, I was telling you about what the Biden administration is plotting with the CCP-controlled World Health Organization to surrender U.S. sovereignty so the Chinese and the WHO will have total control over you and your family. This is not an exaggeration. The Biden administration is deliberately doing this. No one asked them to do it. They voluntarily came forward with a couple of amendments to the international health regulations that would literally turn over the power that the U.S. government or any local officials can have in a public health emergency, which doesn't even have to be an emergency. They can call a sneeze an emergency and lock you down. So you will not have any control over your own health decisions, nor will your doctor or your mayor or governor or even the president or our public health officials at the top. It will all be controlled by the CCP and Bill Gates. Why? Because they're the ones who control the World Health Organization. This is exceedingly dangerous. And later in the show today, we're going to speak to James Raguski, who has been raising the alarm about this insane, great reset power grab 
which of course the propaganda press is not covering. So you do not want to miss this. This is maybe one of the single most important things that you need to be read in on and understand what is coming down the pike here in very short order. Also, we're going to get into Biden screaming about food shortages, which he keeps doing because, of course, he and the Democrats are creating the food shortages. And we're going to talk a little bit about the left's war on our children, which is particularly evil. Amidst all of the evil we are facing, that is particularly evil. All right, first up, though, the Monica Memo. We've got one farewell and two things on hold today. Like three weddings and a funeral, we've got one farewell and two things on hold. First, the farewell, Jen Psaki leaves her post as White House Press Secretary And on Friday the 13th, no less, which is incredibly fitting, she is going to go off to MSNBC to continue lying on state media. So not much of a career change for Madam Saki, also known as Peppermint Patty. She is now going on TV, so you will have to voluntarily click on MSNBC to watch her rather than having her force-fed to you every day at the White House podium. So that's our farewell. Friday the 13th, do not allow the door to hit you on the butt on the way out, Madam Saki. All right, now to two things on hold, at least temporarily on hold. First, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is putting a hold on the $40 billion aid package to Ukraine. Keep in mind, and we covered this earlier in the week, keep in mind that the Biden administration had, quote, only asked for $33 billion. And I use only, I mean, loosely, you understand what I'm saying. But they came in with a request for $33 billion, and Congress upped it to $40 billion because the uni party always unites to put America last. Republicans and Democrats came together for uh, an additional $7 billion, again, that we don't have and can't afford, uh, for Ukraine. Rand Paul yesterday, what a hero of the Republic. He jumped in and he said, no, nope. <laughs> he put a hold on it. One senator actually can do this. They can put a hold on any legislation, certainly on spending, And he said, no, I'm going to put a hold on this because what I want in order for this to go through is an inspector general in this legislation. I want this legislation altered to include an inspector general to monitor where this $40 billion is going. Completely logical, totally common sense, protective of the American taxpayer. Thank you very much. And, of course, Schumer and McConnell, who join forces, the uni party, join forces to craft this legislation, they do not want that. You know why? Because all of this is a giant money laundering operation for all of them. So, without Rand Paul's vote to clear the pathway for this legislation to uh, go forward and get to Biden's desk, it's got to go through a lengthy process in the Senate before it passes. And everybody, the uni party is pulling their hair out over Rand Paul. They're like, what is he doing? Good for him. 
good for him. He's one of the few that actually stands up for America First and the American taxpayer. So we all owe a big thank you to Rand Paul for doing what he is doing. And we do thank him for that. Now, the second temporary hold is none other than Elon Musk, who tweeted earlier today, Twitter deal temporarily on hold pending details supporting calculation that spam slash fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. And then he went on to tweet, still committed to acquisition. So what do we have here? Well, Elon Musk apparently, in this at least first tweet, is insinuating that Twitter may have misrepresented how many fake and spam accounts there are on the site, meaning how many actual accounts are monetizable. That number for Musk may not be real because of Twitter. So he's saying, without actually saying it, that perhaps Twitter may have lied in its filing that less than 5% of all accounts are fake or spam. He's saying it without saying it very careful. This is very interesting, isn't it? Because Musk is saying, hey, look, here was my, my bid on this, my best and final offer to buy Twitter at $54.20 a share. But now he's saying they may have misrepresented how many actual monetizable accounts there are. And so he's putting it out there that, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm taking a step back. This is a very wily move on his part. He's not the richest person in the world by accident, right? Now, some have questioned his motivation on all of this, saying he, he just wants Twitter to make money. Well, duh, we're a free market system, at least partially still anyway. And that free market system rewards risk. So if Musk is doing this just to make money, great. You know, some people say he doesn't really care about free speech. He just wants to make money. I say, I don't care. Good. Great. Great. Of course, the left hates that. If you're making money, they hate you. Some others have said that Musk is just doing this for the headlines. He's not actually committed to doing it. He won't actually go through with it. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think that that's right. I mean, I think he is a free speech guy. I think he's a libertarian And I think he is committed to both this deal and free speech, you know? And I don't think he would go this far without taking it over, barring some real problem with the deal. And this this could be a real problem with the deal. Now, maybe he's doing this because he wants a better deal. Maybe in this market, $54.20 a share is too high. So will he walk away or is he just negotiating a better deal? Well, I think he's come this far. His credibility is on the line. So my gut says he doesn't walk away, that he is negotiating for a better deal. And what's fascinating is he is using the company he wants to buy to send the stock price up and down. Pretty remarkable. Again, not a dummy. Not a dumb. He's not the richest person in the world by accident. All right, when we come back, I want to hit a couple of other things, including a major, major story 
uh, involving the FBI targeting parents that has been covered by a couple of people, Tucker, the Washington Times, a few others, but not many else. And, and it is an extraordinary story and we're going to cover it here. Plus, we've got James Raguski. He is coming up talking about what the Biden administration is doing to give up our sovereignty to the CCP and Bill Gates-controlled World Health Organization. You don't want to miss that either. So sit tight. We are coming right back. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. All right. Welcome back. I'm Monica Crowley. Great to have you on board on this Friday the 13th. Um, I want to cover a couple of stories here, including Joe Biden screaming about food lines and the MAGA King, which is just so delicious. But first, let's get into a story that the propaganda press is not bringing to you because, of course, they cover for the regime. Contrary to the sworn testimony of our Attorney General Merrick Garland, The attorney general, by the way, is supposed to represent all of us and apply an even-handed application of the law across the board. This is why Lady Justice is blindfolded, because justice is supposed to be blind. Do you remember during the Trump years, the left went crazy attacking uh, all of President Trump's attorneys general, uh, from, you know, Jeff Sessions to Bill Barr. They were all over them saying, well, they're just a tool of President Trump. This is outrageous. They should be applying the law blindly and so on. Well, that criticism only applied to President Trump's administration and his AGs. Now, of course, you've got Merrick Garland, who is as extreme as they come. But again, he's cloaking it in this, I'm a reasonable guy routine. And he is constantly covering for the Obama-Biden crimes and now the Biden-Harris crimes constantly across the board. So with this story, 
keep in mind that he is just a radical political hack. Contrary to his sworn testimony that the FBI did not target parents. Remember when we had a lot of parents going out to school board meetings and allowing their voices to be heard on critical race theory, on the sexualization of their children, sexually explicit material being taught in the classroom. We had parents really mobilized. You know, by the way, before we get into this, a lot of people say, well, what can we do? Right? Like beyond contact our representatives and all of that stuff, which remains incredibly important. Don't think that not calling your senators, your governor, your members of Congress, your city council, your mayor's office, sending them emails, all of that matters. And because we have no control over anything uh, right now until November or January when we get a new Congress, that's really all that we have, right? I mean, we, we, we don't have these armies that the left has where they can flip a switch and get armies into the streets, union folks, college kids, you name it. We don't have those kinds of shock troops. We should, but we don't, at least not yet. So the only thing we can do, we've got just certain levers. And one of the levers that parents used was to exercise their First Amendment rights to go and allow their voices to be heard uh, and their concerns heard at school board meetings. We've got to continue to do that, by the way. Don't think that this is just ebbed away. It hasn't. There are still parents out there. They're running for school boards. And in fact, coming up pretty soon, we're going to do a segment with two extraordinary mothers who I've gotten to know, who are just normal Americans, who are outraged by what's going on in our schools and this war on our kids. They're outraged enough that they are willing to step up and run for school board. We're going to talk to them because they both have extraordinary stories and they're both incredibly gutsy to do this. So when we say, well, what else can we do? You know, that's, uh, we are hearing the same thing. Understand, we have no levers right now beyond showing up to school board meetings, running for the school board, running for office, reaching out to your uh, representatives and letting your voice be heard. And if you want to create an army to go into the streets and peacefully protest, have at it. But right now, this is all that we have in terms of options. So, parents showed up at school board meetings. They continue to. They're out there protecting their children. They're not causing a ruckus. There is no violence. They're not burning down the schools or burning down our cities like the left always does. And we'll continue to. Watch. We've got another summer of love coming our way. But they just showed up as average citizens and parents who care about their children and their children's education. The FBI, at the direction of Merrick Garland, the attorney general, stepped in and began to target these parents under counterterrorism statutes. Completely outrageous, totally Orwellian, completely anti-American. But Merrick Garland went before Congress and in sworn testimony said that that was not happening, that it did not happen. And now we know, thanks to some brave whistleblowers who are coming forth, 
that the FBI did, in fact, target and tag parents who showed up to school boards to protect their kids. He swore under oath. Now, remember, he is, apart from the president, the attorney general is the chief law enforcement officer of the country. He's not supposed to be breaking laws, but apparently he did. He swore under oath that those parents were not targeted as domestic terrorists. But like everyone else in this administration, he lied. And he did it under oath, which would make him a perjurer. Listen to this from the Washington Times. The FBI used threat tags created by the Bureau's counterterrorism division to launch dozens of investigations into parents who had protested at school board meetings. This is according to these whistleblowers who have come forth. By the way, the left loved whistleblowers during the Trump years. Remember Alexander Vindman and Miles Taylor, two twerps. Miles Taylor was that anonymous. Remember, he wrote that op-ed for the New York Times, I think, about um, how bad the administration was. And that gave rise to the second impeachment on Ukraine against Trump. So you had all these twerps who were left-wing radicals and the swamp who were trying to undermine Trump from within the administration. And then they came forward and became whistleblowers. They went public with their complaints about Trump. The press could not get enough of them. They celebrated them as conquering heroes for democracy. Well, now real whistleblowers aren't even getting a teeny tiny bit of coverage as they blow the whistle on actual crimes happening out of the Biden administration. Right? They're not conquering heroes. They're not getting on MSNBC. You get nothing. You get this Washington Times story. You get a segment on Tucker. And God bless these outlets for doing this, but you're not seeing it in the propaganda press. It's nowhere. Washington Times continues, the probes led by the FBI targeted parents who were reported on a new Justice Department snitch line. Remember that? We started hearing about that too. That's not Orwellian or anything. Snitching on your neighbor? The FBI investigations included a father opposed to mask mandates, horror of horrors, Opposed to mask mandates. Can't have that. Gotta sick the FBI on that, Dad. And also a mother deemed a threat for, quote, owning guns and belonging to a group called Moms for Liberty. Oh, she's a real threat to the Republic, isn't she? Moms for Liberty? Jim Jordan of Ohio, another hero of the Republic, said, quote, you've got over two dozen cases that whistleblowers came to us about that they had concerns on. If that isn't designed to chill speech, I don't know what does. Jordan wrote a letter this week to Garland accusing the FBI of opening at least dozens of investigations into parents and others using the counterterrorism threat tag in almost every region of the country and relating to all types of educational settings. He also accused Garland of lying to Congress, which again would make him a perjurer. Let's see if that's prosecuted. Jordan also said the new threat tag is called EDU officials and directed that it be applied to school board-related threats. So parents came out 
and they were just concerned that their kids could not breathe because they were forced to wear masks all day long in school when the coronavirus was really very little to no threat to these kids whatsoever. So what we have here, it's, it's the weaponization of the federal government against average Americans to turn all of us into thought criminals, real, authentic thought criminals that can then be prosecuted with the full weight of the U.S. government. This is just like in Nazi Germany or Stalin's Soviet Union, and now here we are. Remember, all of this was set into motion because the National School Boards Association sent a letter in late September to Biden asking for immediate assistance to counter these threats that they were seeing at the school boards. And then a couple of days later, Garland then sent a memo to the FBI and U.S. attorney's offices seeking to coordinate their efforts to monitor an increase in harassment, intimidation, threats of violence. But remember, the Biden White House coordinated with that National School Boards Association on the letter. Some might even say they colluded. This is actual collusion in order to set up a pretext for the FBI to set up this counterterrorism bureau against parents. And by the way, that reporting hotline, that snitch hotline, and the federal monitoring of alleged threats at these school board meetings, all of that is still ongoing. They haven't stopped that at all. So understand, you are the enemy. This is all part of the war on our children, of course, but you are the enemy. You are the virus. Of course, it's the exact opposite. They are the enemy. They are the virus, but they control it all. And they have weaponized your own government against you. This is what all totalitarian states do. They have weaponized your own government against you. And, you know, we started with the Musk Twitter deal. This is all about the left wanting to keep its tight grip on their power and control. That's it. And, of course, serving the broader agenda of bringing Marxism to the United States and the global Great Reset. It's all in service of that. But they can't achieve that without their power and control over you. That's it. And they will do whatever it takes to keep it including breaking the law, lying, and ravaging the Constitution, which is their objective anyway. Speaking of that, when we come back, we're going to have a powerhouse interview with James Roguski, who has been doing unbelievable unearthing of what the Biden administration is about to do to all of us in terms of handing over public health control to the World Health Organization. They're voluntarily doing this. It is completely outrageous, and it is going to directly affect you and your family. So don't miss a minute. Sit tight. We're coming right back. Well, welcome back. A very important interview for you now, as promised. Um, Chances are you have not heard a lot about what the Biden administration is proposing here uh, and what they're doing behind the scenes to collude with the Chinese Communist Party-controlled 
World Health Organization because the propaganda press is keeping it from you. We have been talking about it on this show on Wednesday and Monday this week. Steve Bannon, Frank Gaffney, there are a few others who are covering this, but the propaganda press will not touch the story. They won't go near it because they don't want you to know. But on this podcast, we bring you the stories that they are covering up. Joining me now is James Raguski. James is an author, researcher, and health advocate who spends a lot of time unearthing hidden agendas, researching them, and then exposing and explaining them to all of us. You can read his very important work on his substack, and he has been ringing the alarm bell on this unbelievable power grab, and that's why I wanted to have him here on the show today. So, James, thank you so much for joining us and for your very important work on this. Um, thank you. Which aspect of this would you like to dive into first? Okay, well, I want you to walk us through it, so let's start at the top. There is something called the International Health Regulations, or IHR. What are they, and is the United States a party to them? Um, those are some good questions because the answers are not clear in many ways. Uh, the history of that goes back hundreds of years. They were originally looked at as sanitary rules. If you think back to when we didn't have sewers and everybody just threw their sewage in the street, uh, you can imagine why you know disease spread. When the WHO was created in 1948, the responsibility for that got rolled into the World Health Organization and when Harry Truman signed the um, joint resolution to get us in, they very clearly said that we're joining to participate in the uh, world, you know, worldwide uh, uh, efforts to maintain health. But the WHO has no authority over us at all. Fast forward to 1969, they changed the name to the International Health Regulations. They got amended a few times. There was a lot of amendments in 2005 after anthrax and SARS-1. And if anybody actually reads the International Health Regulations, it's an 84 page document. In my opinion, there's some things in there that I disagree with, but there's actually some things in there that are pretty good. It actually acts to be like a straitjacket or shackles on the WHO. And that's from their point of view, that's the problem. They want more power so they want to make amendments to the regulations that we've been living with forever. So do, does the IHR, these international health regulations, do they supersede the U.S. Constitution? They supersede the Constitution in the sense that we have agreed to abide by them. Now, for clarity's sake, they are not a treaty. No one has found that it does not appear to be any evidence that the Senate ratified this other than when there was a joint resolution to join the WHO back in 1948, that was part of the deal that the WHO, you know, they have their constitution and, and, you know, they had all of these regulations that go back hundreds of years. So we got into the deal saying we're a member of this, but you can't make us do anything. But just because someone doesn't have authority over you doesn't mean that you could forget that and then agree to do something that supersedes your rights. Anybody is free to give up their rights. Um, but then you realize that you're just as likely that you could reclaim them if you wake up from the fact 
that you've gotten confused. Yes. Well, very difficult for any uh, nation to reclaim those rights once they give up their sovereignty. And I want to get into this with you in a second, James. Who, Before we do that, who administers and enforces these international health regulations? Is it the World Health Assembly, the WHO? Who is it? Um, it, it becomes a uh, Abbott and Costello routine. You know, who's on first? Who did this? Who did that? Um, <laughs> yeah. They yeah. they don't have a lot of teeth, okay? And that's what the WHO doesn't like. They would like to be the king of the world and, you know, dictator uh, of everything. It, it, it's mostly, it's an agreement and nation states, you know, abide by it. The way it's actually enforced is really more through coercion and bribery and blackmail. Uh, the WHO has a lot of money that they throw around. They get that money from a lot of sources. They don't really have a lot of influence comparatively over the United States because we have a decent amount of made up money. But other small countries, you know, they see the WHO as a benefactor because the money comes from where they get the money from all these many sources. And, and they shower it on smaller countries who look at that as a benefit because they, you know, they explain to them, oh, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. And, oh, well, you know, here's the money to do it. And it's the game that's played with all kinds of financial dealings around the world. Let's get you into debt. And then we've really got you. So we're talking to James Raguski about he's been doing incredible unearthing of what the Biden administration is planning here with the WHO, which is controlled by the CCP and to a large extent, Bill Gates as well. So, okay, let's get into this, James. Uh, the IHR, and again, you've been doing incredible reporting on this at your Substack. Have First of all, have the IHRs changed over the past two and a half years since the beginning of the pandemic? Um, they've um, pretended to utilize them, you know, as a means to uh, govern what's going on. But the bigger issue is that locally, you know, all of the laws that are being um, put in locally uh, are, are being done because of this hypnotic belief that, oh, the WHO recommends this, and the WHO recommends that. So therefore, you know, the local governments, whether it's, you know, federal um, nation, uh, city, state, whatever, county, um, they point to the WHO as this authority figure. And everybody just goes, oh, well, the WHO said so, so I guess we got to do it. And, you know, I just would caution people that uh, a recommendation is, another word for it, is a suggestion. And if somebody keeps making suggestions, they start behaving like a hypnotist and, and people start falling for it. And so it, it's an illusion. So let's get into exactly what is happening this year. Um, again, because you've been raising the alarm and then I've been trying to raise the alarm. In mid-January of this year, the Biden administration submitted two amendments to the IHR. What are they? Um, well, I wouldn't say they submitted two amendments. They submitted a document that changes 13 different articles in the international health regulations um, it's mind-bendingly complex, and we haven't found a single word in there that is anything other than evil, if you look at it from the perspective of what they could do with it. Mm -hmm. There's no mention of uh, medications or nutrition or early treatment or, or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, it's all about grabbing power. And the core of it, the, the main one that people should you know, make sure you understand 
they want to make changes to Article 12 of the regulations, Section 2, and on line six, I mean, it literally looks like a needle in a haystack of words. There's a statement that is the existing law that says the WHO really can't do a darn thing unless they get the nation involved to agree. Mm -hmm. The nation is sovereign, you know, 194 different nations, they each have their own sovereignty. They want to remove that wording, which would effectively um, surrender um, each nation's sovereignty and give complete control to the World Health Organization's director to declare an emergency whenever he so chooses. Now, I want to caution people that doesn't mean that the WHO is going to be, you know, in control of every single aspect. They're talking about a pandemic treaty off in the future mm -hmm. that would have all of that insanity built into it. But that is also a distraction. If you hear somebody say the word treaty or pandemic treaty, that's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking right. about very targeted, specific amendments to existing regulations. The existing regulations aren't that bad. They're not perfect, and I could nitpick them, but I'd rather have them the way they are than the way they will be if they change them. So the, the practical effect, if this goes through, and we'll get into in a minute here how we might be able to stop this, but if, if these things are voted on and passed by the World Health Assembly, they're meeting in Geneva in about a, a little over a week, May 22nd, May 28th, they're going to vote on these things. If, in fact, this goes through and we're not able to stop it, James, what will the practical effect of these changes be? How will they directly affect you and me? Uh, I'd like to break that into three parts. The good news, the, uh, uh, the, the bad news, the good news, and the political news. Please. Okay. The bad news is um, we would have given up that amount of sovereignty, that control over the ability to decide whether or not we want to live in an emergency, you know, state of emergency dictatorship. You go back to Roman times, the definition of a dictator is the person who's given ultimate power during an emergency to dictate orders, you know, bark orders to people. You can't have dictatorship without emergency powers. They go hand in hand. That's the definition. That's the bad side. The good side is based on the rules and based on the awareness that it's just recommendations. There's a clause, Article 61, in the regulations that state very clearly each nation, each member can just tell the WHO to go take a hike. Mm. They we just write a note to them under Article 61 and say, you know, we see your amendments, but no, thank you. And, you know, on top of that, you know, we can leave at any time. We're there voluntarily. They don't have any true legal authority over us unless we agree. Now, the political news is there will be a six-month period that we'll be able to reject the amendments if they're approved, and they probably will be. Well, that takes us past the election time. And so the election uh, political answer to this is really simple. Um, excuse me, candidate X, uh, you're running for office. I'd just like to ask you, are you pro-treason or are you anti-treason? Would you like these amendments to stand? And, and do you think that the U.S. should give our sovereignty over to Tedros Ghebreyesus to be dictator of the world in regards to declaring emergencies? Or do you have a problem with that kind of treason? You well, know, that, yes. If, this isn't, Go if ahead. this isn't part of the political environment between now and November, 
um, somebody's deeply asleep. Yes. And that is one thing that the average American listening to us today can do is bring pressure to bear on their political candidates heading into November on this exact issue. Is there anything else? Like, I, I know that you have been working hard behind the scenes. Have you been in touch with international lawyers, members of Congress, others who might have the power to stop this? Um, international lawyers and, and, you know, politicians and so forth, as one example, you know, through all that we've been doing, um, I think it was 14 Louisiana state legislators um, filed a uh, resolution against this in, I think it's number 116 in the Louisiana legislature. So there are at least a handful of politicians, legislators, um, office holders who are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is standing up and defending the Constitution according to their oath of office. So, you know, kudos and thanks to those brave people in, in Louisiana. Hey, everybody, you know, what are y'all waiting for? Uh, everyone who's in office swore an oath or was supposed to swear an oath to defend the Constitution against uh, enemies internally and externally. Uh, they all should be kicked out of office just for their failure to address an obvious act of treason. The issue really starts with, there are um, uh, administrative protocols by which the people who negotiate any such agreement, the people who present such any, any agreement and agree to it, where are the um, delegation of authority letters that are supposed to come through the Secretary of State's office to even allow these people to be talking about this stuff? Yeah. Well, and, and also, what about the courts? Are we having any success there? And if states, if this thing goes through, the states could sue, and then we at least have a judicial path as well to stop it, right? Well, number one is to realize that this is not being presented as a treaty. Right. So don't anybody right. think that the Senate is going to vote two-thirds. That's, you know, there's talk of a treaty in the future. Please don't get them commingled in your mind. This has been talked about as a sole executive agreement, which requires transparency, discussion. Uh, it, it requires the Congress to either pre-authorize or, or vote on it afterwards. And, you know, they're just asleep at the wheel. Yeah. And, and so uh, what's really going to get this done is public awareness. Um, Monica, I don't mean to give you a hard time, but if I say the letters TPP, does that bring to mind anything? TPP. No, okay. not off the top it's, of my head. It's it's not a toilet paper problem. It's years <laughs> a number of years ago, um, it was the Trans Pacific. Oh yes, yes, which okay. Trump pulled us out of. Yes. Well, actually, yes and no. Um, we never got into it because during the election period, regular people got wind of it, and they spread the word, and that was even more hidden than this. Senators had to go into a, 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 a safe area to view it. They were not allowed to get copies of it. They were not allowed to take photographs of it. Mm -hmm. They had to go and read it and try to remember it. And so the word got out and everyday people just said, oh, hell no. Right. And it right. was it, you know, it appeared to die. Trump didn't kill it. He said, no, we're not going to do it. Um, but it didn't die. We forgot to stick the wooden stake through it and shoot it with a couple of silver bullets. It, it was trying to give away sovereignty around the Pacific nations um, to corporations. If you had a, a gripe with some trade issue, 
you couldn't go to court, you had to go to their administrative court, which, you know, we just said no, right? And well, the darn thing morphed and came back to life as amendments for 194 nations dealing with health. They're basically doing a very similar thing that the TPP did. They're trying to get us to just give over our sovereignty. And, you know, I'm not having it. And I think a lot of people are not having it either. But what's required is that people become aware of it. Once anybody looks at this, you know, it's like, don't you dare do that. And that's the other website where you can go for all of the information. Don't you dare dot info or um, stop the who.com. And here's where I blow everybody's mind. My phone number is 310-619-3055. I'm backed up on my calls, you know, text me first, but I'm not serious about this. I mean, there's, there is no other issue. This is just gross, obvious treason. Monica, have you ever had a story of a treasonous act that was going to be committed in a week that you could report on, not breaking news, but, you know, coming attractions? Hey, everybody, pay attention. Um, you know, maybe we get them to pull these back and never vote on it. And we have a, a, a victory that way because they go back into hiding. But, you know, this isn't news. This is like a prediction of the future. It's on the agenda. They're going to be voting on it. Let's see if they back down or let's see if they're crazy enough to go through. It. Yeah. And this meeting of the World Health Assembly happens in Geneva, May 22nd. So literally it starts on May 22nd. So literally it's just about a week away. And that's why we're raising the alarm bell here on this podcast. We've been doing that all week. And, you know, Biden wants it clearly because they proposed these changes. And in the two years he's got left, this could do a lot of damage to our country. James, I want to thank you so much for being here and for blowing the whistle on this and mobilizing the rest of us to act to try to stop it. Give us those websites again where we can find more info and mobilize. Please don't do a search for these because the search engines will not give you back you know, the proper information. Type in http dot colon, uh, http colon slash slash stop the who.com or don't you dare dot info. Thank you so much, James. Excellent work on this. Thank you for uh, raising the alarm for all of us here. And uh, we will do our best to mobilize to try to stop it. And if it does go through, we will make sure that uh, heading into the future, the damage at least is is minimized by bringing pressure to bear. Thank you so much, James Roguski. Check his work on Substack. Check out those websites. And James, we really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank, thank you. You bet. All right, on this Friday the 13th, let's wrap up the week with a dip into our email bag. Jim, listening to us from Sydney, Australia, writes about what we were just covering with James Raguski. Hi, Monica. I first heard about this WHO stuff on Steve Bannon. If it is as described and Biden's people are pushing for it, it's quite apparent that this is part of a ploy to either ramp up drop boxes in November or scuttle the elections altogether. Given the timing of this combined with the midterm elections, an election in which the Democrats are going to be eviscerated back to the Stone Age, let's hope, Jim, uh, it immediately occurred to me that the suggestion that the Biden administration is promoting and advocating for this, it would give the perfect cover to A, 
turbocharge a phony pandemic and ramp up the use of drop boxes at the center of the documentary, 2000 Mules, or B, if constitutionally possible, cancel those elections and shift the blame to the WHO. These people will stop at nothing. Well, thank you, Jim. And that is true. I just hope our side is prepared for all contingencies here. And let's just say I'm not particularly confident in them. On Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, advocating that poor women, especially poor black women, abort their babies for economic reasons, which is what we discussed here on Wednesday. Chris writes, Monica, how many Ben Carsons have we lost due to these idiots and poor education? Well, that's a very good point. We will never know, Chris, because abortion is so widespread and the majority of abortion clinics are in minority neighborhoods. So we will never know how many Ben Carsons we've lost. Tragic and evil. And David writes, hi, Monica. I'm enjoying your show and I'm excited to listen every day. Well, thank you very much, David. And he says, I didn't mind your music choice. Keep up the great work. Well, I appreciate the kind words, David, and I hope that you like the new music choice too. So if something is on your mind and you want to let me know, just send me an email. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Again, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Also follow me on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore and Twitter and truth social at Monica Crowley. Don't forget on Monday, we've got a really big show because you know, who's going to be here. JD Vance, the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate out of Ohio, J.D. Vance, is going to be joining us on Monday. So please tune in next week. Actually, you've got a really big week next week here on the Monica Crowley podcast. So listen, share, subscribe, tell all of your friends, and download us and don't miss a second. Have a fantastic weekend, and I will see you right back here on Monday. Monday.